I forgot to mention to you that I'll be filling in for Terry. That would have been a great time for you to step out if you didn't want to listen to this. But nonetheless, we're all looking at God's word, and God's word is amazing. Amen? Um, Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for bringing us here together this morning. We, uh, Lord, we need you. That's why we are here. There is hope found in you. Our life has changed, has been changed because of you and all that you've done for us and who you are. You're the best friend we could ever have. And you are a God who is uh, so loving and patient with us. It's amazing. And we want to draw near to you, God. We want to learn more about you, learn more about how we can do that. And so we pray that you would speak to us this morning, or that your word would come to life, come to life uh, to our eyes. Lord, illuminate your word to us this morning. Um, we ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can get your Bible and open it to Romans chapter 6, we're going to be digging into the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6. So if you find the New Testament, go through the Gospels, then you have Acts, then you'll find Romans there. I've titled this message, Dead to Sin, Alive to God in Christ. Dead to Sin, Alive to God in Christ. And before we dig in, just to kind of summarize what has happened so far in the book of Romans... Paul has already communicated and proven to us that there is none righteous. We are all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none who is perfect. And so there is no way that we could come before God and stand before him as righteous. We had the Old Testament law, or I should say we have the Old Testament law, and they were um, given to us so that we could follow them to be perfect, but... The Old Testament law only proved how much of a sinner we really are. And so, there was no way to attain righteousness through the law. The only way to do that was through faith, or is through faith in Jesus Christ. And so God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. All of this is done because and through God's grace, God's unmerited favor, God's favor that we don't deserve. There is no way we could have a relationship with God because of our own efforts, because of our own deeds. There is nothing we could do that could gain us access to a relationship with God. It's only because of God's grace. And so he says where Sin abounded, God's grace abounded much more. And the question is asked, Paul's writing this, and he he thinks of the question that's going to be asked, and that is, should we continue to sin more and more so that we can experience more and more grace? And of course, the answer to that is absolutely not. We should not sin more. We need to sin less. So the Christian life, you give your life to Christ, you come to him. The Christian life is to be lived unto God for God's glory while at the same time enjoying your relationship with him. You need to live your life for him, for his glory, enjoying a relationship with him. But we're not perfect, are we? We could get uh, a group, small, we can get into small groups of married couples and we'd quickly learn that 
you know, from each other's spouses, we're not perfect. We are not perfect human beings. However, we do belong as a Christian to a perfect God who is loving, who is patient, who is sovereign, who is gracious. And so with that in mind, as you live your Christian life, you shouldn't have any other master except for God himself. That is to say, your flesh should not be the master of your life. Your sinful nature should not be the master of your life. Not even a set of rules and regulations such as the Old Testament law should be the master of your life. The master of your life, the master of your heart, the master of my heart should be none other than God himself, our loving Heavenly Father. So here's the question then. We're not sinless, but how can we sin less? What can we do to help us sin less? What should we know to help us sin less? And Paul gives us a strategy that would help us in this process. And by the way, that process is called sanctification. Sanctification is a lifelong process where we become less and less of ourselves, but more and more like Jesus, who is perfect, by the way. By the way, we won't be perfect until we are in heaven. But we can sin less as we grow in Christ. So how do we do that? Paul's strategy consists of three things that I think we can remember. First of all, he's going to tell us there's something you need to know. Second, he's going to tell us there's something you need to reckon. And the third thing, application, he says there's something that you need to remove and then replace. You got to know this. You've got to reckon this. He actually uses that word. We'll talk more about that in a second, in a few minutes. And then you've got to remove and replace. And so let's go ahead and look, first of all, what does Paul say we need to know? And you're going to notice he uses that word know in the first six or seven verses of Romans. He uses it twice. And you're going to notice that he refers over and over to the fact that we have died to sin. Sin is no longer our master. That's what you need to know. But let's look at the first seven verses of Romans chapter 6. Read with me in verse 1. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know That as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So first of all, you see, Paul refers to the old man, the sin nature, having died. And notice, first of all, that it's used in the past tense. It's something that has already occurred. He doesn't say die to it. He's saying, he's saying you've already died to, to, to sin. You're already dead to sin. And that word death, it means separation. Not necessarily extinction, but separation. So, for example, when you die physically, you are separated from your body. For example, when a person dies spiritually, they are separated from God eternally. In this instance, when Paul says we've died to sin, it's saying that sin has been separated from us, its power has been separated from you and I as a believer in Jesus Christ. Sin is no longer the master in your heart. You need to know that you have died to sin. You've been delivered. Now, sin still exists, right? There's still temptation. There could still be struggles, but it's no longer your master. That that died. That has been done away with. And he refers to that multiple times. In verse 3, he says, you've been baptized into his death. In verse 4, he says, you've been buried with him. In verse 5, he says, you've been united together in the likeness of his death. And then in verse 6, he says, the old man was crucified with him. All of that happened at the moment of salvation. When you said, Lord... I believe in you. I need you for I need you to forgive me. I ask that you be my God when you sincerely give your life to Christ and surrender to him. What takes place at that moment is that your sin nature has been crucified with him. Paul refers to it as the old man. The old man was crucified with him. Now Paul's not talking about his dad. He's referring to again the old sinful nature. Your old sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. Paul said that himself in Galatians. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In Corinthians, Paul also suggested that when we come to Christ, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed All things have become new. You are a new creature when you come to Christ. The old sinful nature, you need to know, is no longer master. So why was it crucified? Well, it says in verse 6, look at verse 6 again with me. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So first of all, it was crucified that the body of sin might be done away with. That could be translated so that the body of sin would be rendered powerless or ineffective or reduced to a condition of absolute impotence. Body of sin done away with. And also so that we should no longer be 
slaves of sin. Listen, you need to know that sin is no longer your master. Sin is not your master. You have a choice. The enemy would want you to think you have no choice. Perhaps you give yourself the excuse that you have no choice. But Paul is declaring and telling us, sin is no longer your master. You need to know that. Knowledge is power. You need to know that. Second thing he says is you need to reckon. Look at verse 11. Well, let's start in verse 10. Look at verses 10 and 11. Paul says, For the death that he, Jesus, died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also, wrecking yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I know many of you are from Texas, and you read past that word reckon, you think, well, I reckon we'll do this or that. That's not how Paul's using Paul's not from Texas. Okay? That word reckon has a different meaning here. That word reckon, it means to count, to compute, to take into account. It means to calculate. It means to put into one's account. It means to add up the figures and come to an irrefutable conclusion. Reckon. So Paul is saying there's something you need to put into the equation, into the calculation, as you consider this lifelong process of sanctification. There's something that you need to put into that formula that maybe you haven't put there just yet. And what is it that he's telling us we need to reckon? Well, there's two things. First of all, that you are dead indeed to sin and that you are alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You need to put that into the calculation. There's a story of a successful Irish boxer who was converted and became a preacher He happened to be in a new town setting up his evangelistic tent when a couple of tough thugs noticed what he was doing. And knowing nothing of his background, they made a few insulting uh, insulting remarks to the Irishman. He merely turned and looked at them and said nothing. Pressing his luck, one of the bullies took a swing and struck a glancing glow on one side of the ex-boxer's face. Well, he shook it off and said nothing, but he did stick out his jaw. The fellow took another glancing blow on the other side of his face. And at that point, the preacher swiftly took off his coat. He rolled up his, his sleeves and he announced, I, the Lord gave me no further instructions. Then <laughs> knocked him out. <laughs> we have a choice. You need to know, you need to reckon, understand, put it into the equation of this sanctification process that you're dead to sin. You don't have to do it. It's not your God. You're alive to God. 
He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. It's very personal. You're to live as unto him. Now, God doesn't command us again to be dead, but he's telling us. You are dead to sin and alive to God. And then he tells us we need to act on it. Knowing that information, we need to act on it. Well, how do we do that? It's good to know that. But what difference does it make? Well, you need to act on it. And that brings us to the third point. Where Paul says there's something that needs to be removed. And it needs to be replaced. Got to be removed. And it's got to be replaced. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. When Jesus was teaching about idolatry, the idolatry of money, he said this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Paul's saying kind of the same thing, same idea here. You cannot serve Two masters. You, ca- you cannot say you're a Christian and yet have sin as your master. It's one or the other. And so he says the first thing you need to do, the way to act on this information, is remove that sinful nature as your master. He says do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That word reign It means to exercise kingly power. It's what a king does. He sits on his throne and reigns. Paul says you need to remove sin as king from your life. And we can can think about that. You know, let's be real. There are struggles. There are temptations. But... When we find ourselves in bondage to them, if you will, it's not because we don't have a choice. It's because we've carelessly put ourselves in circumstances, in situations, in relationships where we're kind of stuck and we get in trouble. Paul says you need to to remove those things as your God. What does that look like? Well, it could look like maybe getting off of social media. It could mean thinking about the friends that you have, reevaluating whether they're uh, encouraging you in your walk with Christ or pulling you away. It could be a relationship that is just not good for you. It's pulling you away from God. You, you can think about your life. We can all think about our lives. And we can think, how could I sin less? Well, if I were to stop doing this, going there, hanging out with this, watching this, 
that sure would get me out of trouble. But why don't we do it? It's like we are holding on to that sin. We are saying, no, 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 don't leave. I want you as master. And Paul says, stop doing that. Stop letting sin reign in your mortal body. Remove it. And God can help us with that. He totally wants to help us with that. He can help us with that. Stop letting it happen. So it, we do have the lusts of our flesh. We do have that. But let me tell you something else. More importantly, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you to encourage you, to strengthen you, to guide you, to remind you of God's word and God's promises. You are not alone in this removal process. You have the help of God himself living inside you to remove those things. Stop letting them reign. And then that's not enough. So you know this, you reckon it. So you remove those things, but you're not, that's, that's incomplete. Now you have to replace those things with God himself. Make God your master. Stop enslaving yourself to sin. A person who once experienced Seeing a living slave in New Orleans being sold into slavery. Once said this. He said, there, is a ri- there was a rising hatred inside of me against slavery when I saw this. And I swore if someday I could do something about it, I would do something about it. The man that said that was Abraham Lincoln. Can you imagine how much God hates to see a person choose a life of slavery to sin? Can you imagine how it must break his heart when he knows it's not necessary. He's provided a way out of that. And yet we choose to keep that sin, we choose to keep it as our master. It breaks God's heart, and you know what? He has done something about it. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and my sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, so that we could thrive as a Christian, live for him, be sanctified, become more and more like him, all in his own strength. You know, when I was, uh, well, when my kids were little, they, they'd play t-ball. And uh, I would try not to get mad at them because, like, they would, they would miss the ball on t-ball when they were swinging. But they would get the hang of it. And I just remember, this is kind of silly. Maybe some of you can relate. I don't know. But I, I would think, man, if only I could, like, get inside of their body like, if only I could go and hit that ball, man, I'd hit, I'd hit over the fence. Because I'm, like, big now. They're little. They, they can't quite do it. But, man, if I could do it for them. Well, you know what? God does that with us. 
You know what's cool is the Bible teaches us that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted. He understands our temptations, yet he never sinned. But he can relate. He's not harsh. He says, I understand the weakness. I can relate. I get it. Before Jesus came, you think, man, they only had the Old Testament law. It was very impersonal. The law didn't care what you were going through, what you were thinking. It didn't care that you had weaknesses. The law declared, do this, don't do that, and if you break it, too bad, you've blown it. God is not like that. God is so gracious. He's so personal. He knows and understands your weaknesses And he wants to help you thrive as a Christian. And so the replacement is that we should present ourselves to God. Let's look at verse 13 again. Let's read that. Notice the word present. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and if you will, present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That word present, it means to place at one's disposal. Don't place yourself at the disposal of sin. Don't place yourself, the members of your body, at the disposal of instruments for unrighteousness. Instead, Paul says, place yourself at the disposal of God. Place the instruments of your body at the disposal for God and his righteousness. You know, when you come to God and you say, Lord, I give you everything. My hands, the mind, the abilities you've given me, the strengths, the talents that you've given me the energy that I have, when you say, God, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live for, but however long that is, every one of those days is yours. I'm at your disposal. You know what? It's the most joyful thing you will ever do. There is so much joy and fulfillment when you come to Christ and say, Lord, I'm yours. I don't want my members to be used for unrighteousness. Use them as instruments for righteousness. I'm here at the church often during the week. The office is out there in the front. And multiple times a week, there is a dog that drives by in a truck. Now, he's not driving the truck. Okay? But there's a dog that goes by on the road... And I've seen him one time, and and I know every time he passes. He's not driving the truck right, but he's in the bed of the truck, and he's got his two paws sticking out and his head sticking out the side of the truck. And the reason I know he's passing by is because he is barking constantly, like this happy, look-at-me bark. And so I'll be sitting in the office, and... He 
I've seen him that one time. He's having so much fun. I want to get in the truck with him and just like enjoy the ride with him. Having the time of his life. Brothers, sisters, when you come to God and you say, I am yours, you're going to be happier and more full of joy than that dog that's riding in that truck. There is nothing more fulfilling. And so we are to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. We're to say, God, I am yours totally and completely. Now, that word when he says present yourselves, it carries with it in the tense that it's used. Paul is saying, do it now. Do it totally. Do it completely. Do it once and for all. Do it. I can hear Arnold saying, come on, hurry up. Do it now. And that wasn't that good, but you, you, you get what I'm trying to say. Do it now. Paul is saying, man, give your life to God now, starting now. And you know what? Every day when you wake up, you, you say that prayer to God and you say, Lord, I don't want the instruments of my body to be used for unrighteousness. I want my body to be used for righteousness, for your glory. I want to remove sin as my master. Lord, today would you be my master? Oh, what joy will fill your heart. And so that is the strategy that Paul gives. Know that you're dead to sin. That's important to know that. Put that into the equation. Reckon it. Know that you're dead to sin. Know that you're alive to God. And third, remove all the sin as your master and replace that sin with God who is gracious and loving and caring. Look at the last verse of chapter 6 with me. Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you choose a master, you will get paid. Just as when you work, you expect a paycheck. When you choose your master, you will get paid. Now, with sin as your master, your wages equal death. Not a good master. If you choose... God as your master, then the wages, the gift of God is eternal life and all that comes with it. Forgiveness of sins, joy, peace that surpasses all understanding, a relationship directly with him and to him. So my question to you is, which master would you choose? And if you haven't chosen God as your master, then you need to do it now. It needs to be done. There is a man that wrote a poem. And in this poem, it's three paragraphs. And I just want to close with this. I see kind of three places in his life, in his walk with Christ. Three states that he's in. um, Different places in his Christianity. In the first paragraph, he writes, Oh, bitter shame and sorrow that a time could ever be when I let the Savior's pity plead in vain and I proudly answer to him, All of self and none of thee. In the second paragraph, he writes, 
Yet he found me, and I beheld him bleeding on the accursed tree, and I heard him pray even, Father, forgive them. And in my longing heart, I said very faintly, some of self and maybe some of thee. In the third paragraph, he writes, day by day, his tender mercy, healing, helping, and full and free, he brought me lower while I whispered to him, God, none of self and all of thee. Wouldn't that be an awesome prayer? God, none of myself and all of thee. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you died on the cross for our sins and that with you on that cross, our sin nature was also crucified. It was done away with. It is no longer our master. We are not enslaved to it. But Lord, we pray that you would help us in this process of sanctification, God. To be smart, to be wise, to remove those things that get us into trouble. And Lord, that we would do it now, once and for all, declare that we are yours, ask you to be our master. Lord, would you be master in our heart? For you are a good God. Lord, you know the struggles in our lives. You know the temptations that we face. But help us to be less and less like us and to be more and more like you so that we could have the joy of walking with you, being used by you, enjoying a relationship with you, knowing that one day we will be perfect when we are in heaven with you. That is our prayer to you this morning, God. If anyone is here and they've never given their life to the Lord, if you're here and you say, really, I think sin is still my master, then remove that. Give your life to God. It starts with a prayer. When, and just pray this prayer in your heart and say to him, Lord, would you be my master? Help me to remove sin as my master and you be my master. I believe in you that you died on the cross for my sins. That you rose from the dead. Forgive me for all of my sins. Wash them away in your precious blood. And help me. Help me to live for you for the rest of my life. Lord, that is our prayer to you this morning. We look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.